Hello, everyone. Thank you so much. It's Jen with the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise Podcast. This is episode number 13, if you can believe it. And today we're going to talk about groundedness. But first, quick recap from last time. Last time I spoke with Ryan Hurst from GMB Fitness, we talked about a lot of things that were all around this idea of skill acquisition, communication, and learning. He talked about the approach that he's utilizing currently when he teaches his martial arts students, and it emphasizes presence and communication, listening, and transitions. And there was so much in this episode, I do hope you'll go back and take an opportunity to listen to it, including having like a mantra or a focal point that brings you back to yourself. Before we dive into today, try this. Come into a comfortable seated position. And wherever you are, whatever that seat looks like, like I'm sitting with my legs cross-legged, I want you to see if you can connect with your feet. Obviously, if your feet are flat on the floor, that's going to be a little bit easier. And as you connect with your feet, I want you to see if you can feel where the pressure is against the surface that your feet are on. What happens if you shift the pressure from one part of your foot to the other? Can you shift the pressure to the balls of the feet? Can you shift the pressure to the inside of the feet? Or the outside of the feet? Can you shift the pressure to the heels? Can you shift the pressure to the heel on one foot and the ball of the foot on the other? What about to the inside of one foot and the outside of the other foot? After you've taken a moment to explore these different pressure changes in your feet, pause and reconnect with the sense of your feet against whatever surface they're on. Is your awareness of your feet more or less clear? Why do we play with this? Well, pressure is a form of input. Input's a variable that we can change. Input infects everything from how you move to how you feel. One of the ways you can alter input is through sensing what connects you to the ground. The ground is a very tangible object. You can feel it. And I know I've spoken about this before, but I think it bears repeating, particularly since that's what we're going to be covering today. Focusing on the sensation of the feet against the ground is a focal point. Focusing attention on a body part and how it connects to the world around you is a way to decrease noise. Noise, of course, which I've said over and over again, is unwanted distraction. This is, in essence, then, this idea of simply focusing on the feet and altering the pressure, a mindfulness practice. 
I've already mentioned this, but today's episode is on my is, is on groundedness. I recently finished a book on this topic, and the author defines groundedness as unwavering internal strength and self-confidence that sustains you through ups and downs. It is a deep reservoir of integrity and fortitude, of wholeness, all of which create lasting performance, well-being, and fulfillment. Merriam-Webster defines groundedness as mentally and emotionally stable, one with admirable sensible sense, one who's realistic, and one who is unpretentious. So there are some similarities within those two definitions already. We could think of, one way to think of groundedness is it's a connection to yourself that allows you to be authentic, that allows you to be whole, that allows you to have sustained well-being. When we look at groundedness in other disciplines, such as some of the mind-body disciplines like Tai Chi, groundedness grounding is the moment when the feet sink or root into the earth like tree roots growing deeply into the ground. To be grounded in yoga is to feel solid, strong, and well-balanced in the body and mind. Yoga poses that are grounding are ones that connect you to the earth. If you think back to when we spoke, when I spoke with Carrie Orco, she talked about the rhythmic movement of running and how that did something for her. So when we think about these definitions, when we think about this idea, or when I think about this idea, that grounding is an unwavering internal strength and self-confidence that sustains you through up and downs. Grounding is being mentally and emotionally stable. Grounding is this connection to the earth. Based on these definitions, couldn't be argued couldn't it be argued that what Carrie was saying about running would make running a grounding exercise? What about dance or low flow acrobatics or anything that creates an internal and external connection between your body and something else? Couldn't all of those things be grounding? I ask this because when we go when I take this back to this chapter in this particular book, which, and the book was The Practice of Groundedness by author Brad Stolberg. He offers some very practical advice in the chapter about movement, which is an aspect of groundedness. He says, move throughout the day, get aerobic, strength train. The reasons why he says that moving in a way that is physically challenging will teach you how to deal with being uncomfortable with everyday life. There is this little hill on my morning runs and it's towards the end of my run and it's steep enough to be noticeable. And it's a funny thing, whenever I come to this hill, I have an internal debate with myself. Should I walk up this hill? I have not, there's no reason for me to walk up the hill, zero. So inevitably what happens is I pick up the pace to get up the hill faster. It's just long enough that I often gas out <laughs> <laughs> and end up walking the last little bit. Some mornings, 
I am able to take a more balanced approach and continue at my same speed, making my way up the hill. This little hill is physically challenging for me, which is curious because there are lots of other steeper hills on this same route that don't even give me pause. Being uncomfortable with this hill is, is definitely a metaphor for being able to be uncomfortable in other aspects of life, right? Stolberg also says that when you are present, when you learn to be present in your workouts, you are more likely to be present in other places in your life. One of the things he says is be present with every rep. This is really challenging for people. And I think one of the reasons why is often the rep is if you're doing some an activity like strength training and you've been strength training for a really long time, unless you're in a phase of your strength where you're pushing the weight and the weight is heavier than you're used to or you're learning a new lift, so you're moving in a way that is unusual for you, it is very easy, easy to be slightly checked out and just going through the motions, less present with the rep. He also says that improvement during a movement practice requires patience. This patience will seep into other aspects of what you're doing. And the reason why is because when you begin a movement program, or even if you've been doing a movement program for a long time, actually more so if you've been doing a movement program for a long time, the improvements take a while to come. They're incremental. They're barely noticeable. When you just start a movement practice, the results come fast. And that's because you're learning. You're learning how to do something new with your body. And this learning phase is leads to improvements that seem to come in leaps and bounds versus this more maintenance phase or this very slow build phase where improvements just kind of creep along. He also says you will try things and fail. Your movement practice teaches you vulnerability as you learn to be okay with this failure. I thought this advice was all really good, but it also comes from this more traditional approach to movement, which is we have this thing, which is aerobic exercise, which is rhythmic coordinated motion, and we have this other thing, which is resistance training, which is move the weight up and down. And then we have just general getting up and walking around throughout the day. So he's created these nice little buckets for movement, which I totally understand. A lot of times that's an easier way to approach something like movement. But... If we're looking at movement as a path to groundedness that is less segmented, less of these buckets, would that change a person's relationship with movement? I know you've heard me say this before, but why do I care about this so much? Because when you learn how to do things with your body, you're improving your body awareness, you're improving your self-confidence, you're learning patience, vulnerability, and acceptance. You're creating a deeper connection with other parts of yourself 
and usually to someone else. Because often the path to learning at some point requires a coach or a teacher or someone to give you just a touch of guidance. Because very often when we are self-taught, we get a little bit stuck. And learning literally changes your brain. All of these are so powerful. What are some examples? You could take these more traditional exercise ideas, like the aerobic exercise idea. You could learn how to do something like run a marathon. Yes, there is learning involved in this. Anytime you are going to take on an endurance event that is that large, you're going to have to learn how to structure your training. You're going to learn how much you can tolerate each week. You're going to learn how to stress your body enough that changes occur, but not stress your body too much that you gas out. So there's learning involved in something like that. And I said running a marathon. I've actually never run a marathon and I've been running for 27 years, but I've done lots of half marathons and I've done lots of triathlons. The principle is all the same. You could learn how to lift weights a different way. If you always do the same lifts, which can be beneficial. You don't have to think about it. But if lifting is something you enjoy, then learn how to approach it slightly differently. Every four to eight months, learn something new about it to keep it interesting. You could learn how to dance. If music brings you enjoyment and moving your body brings you enjoyment, then explore that. You could learn how to do a martial arts or circus art or pole dance. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that these interest me. I've had a ton of fun learning how to pole dance and do aerial silks. You could learn how to play a sport. You could learn how to handstand. Something else I love. You could learn how to do an obstacle course. You could learn how to do Tai Chi. There are all these different things you could learn how to do with your body. And why is this different than working out? For a number of reasons. It creates autonomy. It requires trying and failing and figuring it out. Because here's the cool thing when you're doing some of these things. And I've done actually quite a lot of these on the list. You don't get it right the first time, which is different than a thoughtful, well-structured resistance training program, which is set up so that you succeed. If you're really pushing yourself and you have strong performance goals, then yes, there's going to be some failure. But for the regular person, generally, it's very progressive. There's lots of successes along the way. When you're first learning how to do some of these other things, there's a lot of failure along the way. <laughs> and that's okay. I've fallen out of handstands more times than I can count, more times than I've held a handstand. But I still love it. And even though I've gotten a whole lot more consistent, 
in terms of holding the handstand. There are still days where it's just not going to come or it doesn't feel like it's going to come. And I walk away from those practices maybe a little bit frustrated, but more often curious to see what the next day will bring. And more often than not, the next day brings a lot of success. Often I learn something from all of those failures. If you're learning how to do a martial arts, you don't always, I don't even know the right term because I don't do martial arts, but you walk off the mat a lot of times, not always feeling like you were the one with the upper hand. And again, that's you learn something from that. That's okay. You have exploration and curiosity when you start learning how to do something with your body. This is interesting. And again, when you've got these failures happening, you start to figure out, well, what if I try this a little bit differently? Or you watch someone who's really good and you go, oh, they're doing it that way. What happens if I try to mimic that? Mm, they're doing that thing with their hand. What if I try to do that thing with their hand, with my hand? You become proficient at something. If you enjoy the act of working out, then fantastic. You can totally become proficient at working out. That's great. If that doesn't excite you, then becoming proficient at one of these other ideas, becoming proficient at running, because there is a technique involved and a proficiency involved. Becoming proficient at rolling down the aerial silks, doing some of the drops, becoming proficient at doing a Kong ball in parkour. There's lots of, there's, it creates something very rewarding internally, inside. When you achieve something that you didn't actually think was possible. Sometimes I look at videos of myself doing some of the pull and silk stuff. And I think I can't believe that's me. I never would have thought that I would be able to do that. Movement becomes a source of enjoyment when you're learning how to do something with your body. This creates a different relationship with your body. You're no longer at war with it when you're viewing it as this amazing thing that can do these incredible, incredible feats. At the same token, there are some similarities. How is it the same to learn how to do a movement skill versus traditionally working out? It improves strength, it improves stamina, it improves body awareness. One of the things I've noticed as my practice has shifted very much from this idea of working out to learning and exploring what I can do with the body that I have is I still do the other stuff. Running serves a very different purpose for me. Running clears my head. So running is something that is a, a mindfulness practice of sorts. But my strength work is no longer my movement hobby. My strength work simply supplements the other things that I'm doing. It takes a lot less time. It's concise. 
I don't dread it at all. I enjoy it. It becomes an opportunity for me to check in. It becomes an opportunity for me to say, oh, this is getting a little bit stronger. Oh, this is not getting a little bit stronger. This is interesting. Is this based on the things that I'm doing? It becomes a way for me to explore what happens if I move the weight this way. Can I bring that into my practice? Does that help me at all? So these things don't have to be separate. What I am suggesting is that if groundedness is the goal, maybe we should look at it from a larger perspective, not just one with these buckets of do your movement practice, your movement practice looks like this. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed that. If you have any feedback at all, of course, just let me know. And we have two more episodes for the season. We will conclude the season with a special guest. So join me next week. We will be talking about the history of a different movement modality. Thank you so much.